Good morning, everybody. My name is Eric Orr, and it's my good pleasure to welcome you today to River City Church. We pray that the Lord will give you today everything that you came for, and more importantly, everything that you need. Now, here at River City, we join hands with the Worldwide Church in teaching through the Revised Common Lectionary. The Revised Lectionary is a set of readings that progress through the Bible systematically over the course of three years. Our reading for today from Psalms is 121. We look to the hills from which cometh our help. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Father, we praise you and we thank you. We ask you to come be part of all that we do here today. We ask you, Lord, to help us to praise you with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, and all of our strength. We declare, Father, that we love you and we love our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, I thank you that at the, at the whisper of your name, things change. I thank you that you are faithful to respond when we call upon your name. And so this morning, we together are calling upon the name of Jesus trusting and believing that things are going to change, that things and shifts will be made at the mere mention of your name. What a powerful name it is. We pray, um, we pray for the church and its mission and its people around the world. not ignore nor deny the fear that has continued to, to rise as the coronavirus just becomes rampant among people, but also in news. And that is directly impacting your people. It is impacting the gatherings of bodies and churches around the world. It is sending our fellow brothers and sisters into isolation where they cannot meet with one, another, with one another out of fear. And so I just pray, God, for every believer that is at home and not able to gather, that you would draw near to them in this very moment. Would they be reminded that they are indeed not alone and that they can call upon your name and that you will draw near to them. that you would bring a peace that surpasses their understanding. 
that you would bring a clarity and a wisdom that fights through the noise and fights through the news and the governments and the policies and the this and the that, but that you would bring an anchoring truth to them knowing that you are near to them, that you see them and that you are holding them and that this is not chaos to you. We pray for the fire of the refugee shelter in the Greek islands. God, I pray that you would be near to the refugees that that shelter. They fled trauma and then were lost a home. I cannot fathom how shaking that would be to them. God, I pray that you would surround them. That they would feel seen and known that they would know that their pain matters just because it's not the coronavirus. I pray that the refugees would not feel forgotten just because they're not on the front page of a news story. May we be ones that do not forget. Would you give them shelter and a place to stay? God, would you bring peace to Turkey? and the immense tension that they are facing right now, the turmoil that is being stirred up. God, would you give refugees, the ones fleeing from harm, would you give them a home? Pray for Tennessee as they recover from the tornadoes. God, would you, um, would you empower and would you allow the body to move and be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus for every church and community and gathering, that they would come together, they would love each other well, that they would, that they would take this as an opportunity to love their neighbors well. Show them how to be part of the rebuilding of the neighborhoods and the homes and the fellow churches that have been destroyed. I thank you that you are our home and that our soul can find rest in you and in you alone. I thank you for River City Church and this local community. I thank you for Molly and the way that she has been able to bring life and a fresh breath to our children's ministry rooms. I thank you for the people that partnered with her to get that accomplished. God, I thank you that it is truly just an indicator of the new things that you're wanting to do, a reminder that you are moving again and again and again and again. May we partner with you in the ways that you are moving. I'm excited for our kids. I'm excited for what you're doing in their hearts. I'm excited that they have a place where they feel safe and loved and seen. And I thank you for people like Molly and the volunteers and Jason Hamill that helped put this all together. God, I pray that this morning that we would just um, be reminded that when we have nothing else, we have the name of Jesus, and that is everything. 
And so we lift your name higher and above all other names. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to do, we've got quite a few big announcements to make, and I'm going to share with you a message I feel like is really pivotal for right now. So we're calling this Town Hall Sunday. The reason is because we have a few big announcements. Don't put those up yet. I'm going to travel through a couple of things. Stay in your seats. Good things, God things, blessed things, things that are going to be exciting to step into. If you've been here for the past two months, we've been in a season of noticing the invitations of the Spirit to us. Specifically speaking, in the beginning of January, we talked about confession and how it needs to be a thing that is brought back into personal conversations and not just something we can point at. I think we're a good generation at noticing who needs to repent. I think we're pretty active on Twitter about it. We're good at speaking truth to powers, but a lot of us don't know how to speak truth to the powers in our own lives. And so ownership and confession as a gift and a good thing was an invitation of the Spirit at the beginning of January. Then we talked about Sabbath, which is the best way to kind of fight what our culture is about. It's really probably the most active weapon we have against what we're most involved in, which is busy. A lot of us started reading the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I recommend it for anybody who feels like they don't know how to slow down. But Sabbath being this rhythm, right, if you talk about how long in a year do you need to rest? Well, scripturally speaking, about 52 days of doing nothing would be great. And many of you probably haven't experienced that amount of doing nothing in your life. And so the rhythm of Sabbath is something that it really is foundational to live the Christian life. It's not just a neat thing to be able to say, I'm going to watch football today. It's a way to be alive. It's the foundation that helps you then be filled to go. And so then we talked about true worship, and I invited my friend Dr. Johns to preach, and she talked about the glory of God. She gave us some good language. You know, the things that stuck out to me were prayer never dies. A prayer that's prayed doesn't have like a shelf life. It's there. It's continual. She talked about how the saints from history past and as we move into the future, we're kind of co-mingled in our prayers and how they are in heaven in the throne room. And, and so each prayer prayed, it, it's important. And then last week we came together and we talked about a couple big announcements that we gave you last week, and I'll give you those right now again if you weren't here. Who wasn't here last week? All right, so a couple of the things that happened last week, not yet. Um, Katie Craig, at the end of May, will be stepping away from kids' ministry after prayer and after seeking. She feels encouraged to do this, and we're very supportive of it, uh, which means that we are going to become extremely active in covering and loving our kids well over the next three months and getting the right plan in place. Also, Katie is married to Jordan, who is on staff as associate pastor, will be stepping over full-time into the table. If you don't know what the table is, there's a building downstairs. It's a space. It's a rental space in Smyrna. It's actually one of the top rental spaces in Smyrna now, and because it's done so well, it now needs a full-time director, and it has given us the means through the money it makes to be able to do that. So Jordan will be stepping fully over into that role, and they will be staying with us here at River City. So that's a couple big things. That's Katie stepping away from kids' ministry. That's Jordan stepping fully into the table. The announcements for today. Are you ready for these? Are you ready? 
All right. So the first one is Antramika, who is not here today, but she's on our Wise Council, is a brilliant, I think she's the smartest person I've ever met, honestly. And she was our service coordinator, and she's going to be stepping fully into Wise Council now, which we really need in this next season. You'll hear why in a minute. And so we've noticed a massive gift to our church, and so we've invited Mariah Cruz to be on our staff. Is she here? Can you stand, please? As service coordinator, so truly, truly a gift right now in this season. She is amazing, and she's going to do a spoken word. She's, whenever you want one, you just call her, and she said she'd be able All right, so... The last, is this the last big announcement? Let me just make sure, okay. So many of you know my wife, Sarah, beautiful, awesome, intelligent, leader, gifted, beautiful, um, awesome. So six months ago, she responded to the invitations of the Spirit to take a sabbatical. Um, she got really honest with the church, and the church was really gracious in return. And this is the week where return to church was the goal. Curveball for you all. <laughs> I'm going to read you the statement. I just want to make sure I say it right, okay? Sarah is going to continue her sabbatical for an indefinite amount of time with an intentional focus on personal wellness. Parameters of her sabbatical will continue to evolve under the advisement of her personal care team, Josh and Karen, and family and friends and as led by the Holy Spirit. And she did not want to get up to give this announcement because it would be too hard, but what I want to celebrate with you guys is this is the next step, and I think the best season of her life. And I feel honored that I am married to a pastor who, even though I think women have to fight harder for the spaces that men get in ministry, she knows that her overall health and long-term health will be... Uh, it's more important that she steps into this space now as a leader and as a pastor. And it's, I think, paving a way for a lot of people to know that they're important as well. So I just wanted to share with you guys that she's going to be a part of the church. She's probably going to be even more a part of the church communally moving forward, but she will not step back into pastoral roles. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay, so now you can pull up the slide. So the thing, just to recap, you know, just because sometimes it's helpful. Jordan, full-time table director, effective last week. Katie stepping away from City Kids in May, and Tramika moving fully onto Wise Council, or Elders, for those of you who don't know what that is. Mariah is the new service coordinator, and Sarah is continuing her sabbatical. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. All right, so that's just the first part of this, okay? So because of that, it has created some things that need to happen. I'm, I'll say this as clear as possible. Our kids' ministry over the next season will be a massive, uh, it will be the most energy we've spent on it up to this point, right? And you'll hear more about this in the pots, but Katie's done an amazing job over the past three years of getting it to where it is, and now our church is growing, and now it has broader needs, and now it's even more involved. And so you're going to hear us and partner with us as we travel into a season where we're not just looking for a person that can come make it better. We're looking for people who are called to kids' ministry, who when kids are near them, they leave that space thinking, I am so loved by God and so loved by those people. In our kids' rooms, in our kids' ministry, this will be what happens. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because they are important, right? It's not child care. It should not be child care. 
We should spend the time and money on them that helps them to become who we're trying to create them to become. Does that make sense? They're important. Okay. So that, and then because you just heard that Sarah is stepping away, and she was, we were co-pastoring, Jordan, associate pastor, stepping away, and he was extremely helpful. There is a massive gap now. There is Josh, and then there are other people covering roles, but we know that within the next few months, right after kids' ministry, we are going to have to get active about hiring somebody to come in here. I need your prayers. We need your prayers. And if you want to talk about what that looks like, if our body, we don't, we don't talk about money enough. And I, don't th- I think it's because we still struggle with a healthy idea of what money is. We're afraid to talk about it because of what churches have done in the past and the experiences we've sat through and the three-month campaigns for building a building. But the truth about our body, God has blessed us up to this point, for sure. But if all of our people gave, we would be able to bring these people on staff much quicker. So this is the challenge to you. Prayer. If you're not praying for the body you're a part of, you need to start. Presence. If you're not with the body you're a part of, you need to start. Giving. If you're not giving to the body you're a part of, you need to start. There's, no, there's not a secret tree in the back. I wish there was. I wish I went back there and there was like, did you guys see the money tree that just showed up this week? Serving. If you're not serving in the body you're a part of, you need to start. Okay? Does that make sense? We have things God is going to do this year, and I feel more resolved now than I have in six years. It's almost six years since we've been here, that God is about to do things, right? Dr. Dr. Johns talked about hoping that in, in the bodies across the world, there would almost, it would almost appear like there are outposts of the kingdom of God. That when you're in that space and in that community and when we're in this community, we are carriers of the presence of God, the kingdom of God, which does not mean we dominate and take over. It means that we are a part of a kingdom that is so otherly that people take notice of it. That's what I believe River City is called to be. It's called to be a space that is prophetic to our city. And so I'm inviting you into that. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read you the pots in a second, but I'm just going to quickly jump through this. There's a gap from Sarah and Jordan stepping away, and there's a need for a strong pastoral leader coming in. City kids focus. We're going to get aggressive. We're going to plan. Our kids deserve our best. They deserve to know that they're loved by God. We need people called to that group, not just people who will do that. We need people called to babies and two-year-olds and four-year-olds and six-year-olds, and many of you are. Not all of you are, right? Some of you can be let off the hook. All right. We need to be decisive but not rushed. We need to take our time to do the right thing, but do the right thing. We need you to pray, and in the interim, we need some support and help. So really clearly, three more months, as Katie has been gracious to stay and build out what's happening, we need people who can step in in the interim and and serve the kids and be present with the kids. And you don't have to do it forever, right? But for three months, I'll give one Sunday a month. That would be amazing, right? Like, we need that. And then um, I want to read you the pots, but just to share with you how we got to the pots. Pick these up with me, if you don't mind. Shannon, are you in the room? Where's she at? Right there. Shannon created these. Everybody clap for her. We do pots, which are prayers of the season. We do these twice a year. These are the idea that the collective body should be praying into and for things together, and that God would give supernatural faith to believe that he can answer these prayers, right? It's taken from Revelation where it talks about that there's a bowl in heaven and as the bowl is filled, it's answered at the time it's answered. And it's not really our choice, but we get to pray. So here are your five pots going into the next season. 
Number one, clear paths. Lord, we pray for clear paths for formation and discipleship. We want to know you more deeply. We want a broader familiarity with spiritual disciples, disciplines and a deeper understanding of the work you have for us. We desire to put aside the hindrances and rationalizations we have allowed to get in the way of our participation in that work. We pray for a culture which establishes healthy rhythms that creates space for formation and discipleship. We pray for mentors to be raised up in the RCC family. We pray for bravery from those seeking to connect with mentors for formation and discipleship. So we, we understand that this is important. We know that our job as a church is not to tell all of you how badly you need to get discipled and expect it. It's a 50-50 thing. And so we're doing self-examination. We want to do what we need to do to help you know that you can step into this. At my group last week, we have a group in this room. There's, I think it's the most beautiful collection of people, not, not physically, right? Like, maybe not physically, but in terms of just heart, it. I sat around with seven, seven men, and there were, we told stories about our moments of awakening, and there were people who were in their 60s, and there was someone in their 20s, and I'm 42, and there's another, Jason's similar age, and we looked, Jason and I stood, stood around afterwards, we we're like, this feels like kind of what the body of Christ should be. Hey, man, what are you doing in the middle? <laughs> right, that's going to be your two quarters, though, right there, okay? So... So, so we realized that the, the older men were telling their stories, and we were gleaning from, like, the rich history of someone sharing 40 years with a walk with Jesus. And then someone who's 24, 5, 6, 7, I can't remember how old exactly you are, wherever you are, shared his story. And it was beautiful, and it's this collection of people that are deciding to walk together towards Christ, and it's discipleship and formation. And that's where our church is heading. Right? Sunday services are beautiful and important, and we need these. We need to not forsake the gathering of the body, but taking time to walk with brother, sister, in actual life. We want a clear, clear path toward this. Number two, ownership. Lord, we pray that we, the RCC family, will take ownership for our respective roles in the work that you desire to do through RCC, both within RCC and beyond the community surrounding RCC. We pray that the entire RCC family would partner with that with what you are doing through RCC and buy into the vision you have given RCC for the purpose of this community. That's pretty clear. You can chew on that on your own. Volunteer culture. We had more, when we did POTS, which was you all write down the things we need to pray about, this was by far the number one thing that was mentioned. Why are there not more people volunteering? Why are there not more people volunteering? And then five or six people who were just killing it and volunteering, right? Which is what happens a lot of times. The people who are really active end up doing most of the work, and the people who need nudged kind of sit back and, and watch. And, and also, we have a very spectator kind of culture in American church. We are good at putting on a show to invite people to, right? There are churches who have better concert-related things than actual concert-related things within 10 minutes of here. And so when you show up at a space like this and the windows are up and it's not dark, you're forced to interact with who you are in this space. We need you. And so we're believing in the next season that we will develop a much stronger volunteer culture. So not five or six people burning themselves out, but everyone understanding how beautiful it is to volunteer. Lord, we pray that our RCC family will take ownership for their respective roles in the work that you desire to do through RCC. Both within, Did I already read this? 
both within RCC and beyond. I'm reading it again. Is it? So we forgive you. We love you. Josh, I think I sent this to you. So volunteer culture, I'll get that to you. Basically, volunteer culture is, we spent two hours in staff talking about this specifically. So this is what happens when we express to you that we want you to volunteer. Uh, yeah, if you can, if you don't mind, as you're coming up. We know that we have to take ownership and not putting structures together that are helpful for you to get involved. Instead of us getting angry that you're not volunteering, we're spending time and energy and even staff positions towards bringing people in that can help with this. And I hope this is going to be the same one, isn't it? Lord, we pray for a volunteer culture of RCC. Yes. We know that we do not want to sacrifice health for endless service, the five or six. We know that there are areas of ministry that need volunteer help and that we have people who are capable to serve in those areas. We pray for joyful hearts to co-labor with what the Lord is inviting us into at RCC and the community at large. We pray for wisdom to place the right people in the best suited roles to help them maintain healthy rhythms. So we know that that is not as simple as now you go do this. So we are in the process of figuring out where are you gifted? How do you come to a knowledge of that? How do you not get yourself involved in things that you're not gifted at? When do you serve when you should just step up and serve, right? It's not always am I called to this. Sometimes we need to do this because we need to do it. But for the most part, each person in here has been gifted with something that you can invest in the body that will actually benefit the body and that you'll enjoy doing. Do you understand that? Like that's, where, that's the sweet spot of where you want to go. Thank you for bringing this up, Jonathan. Jonathan Godby, everyone. He's amazing, right? <laughs> All right, and then we have City Kids. Lord, we pray for the upcoming transition in City Kids and ask for wisdom and discernment as we search to identify the right people and structures to lead that ministry moving forward. We trust that you will provide the right people and structures for the next season as you have done in each of the past seasons. Two quick things about this. One, we know that presence with kids continually is important and we're moving in that direction. So the idea of just having one person in a room volunteering and then another month and having kids seeing different faces all the time, we're transitioning from that. We believe that kids should meet with people and see people and the same people and there should, we should build rapport and we should, they should see and know and trust and that's coming. And then number two, if you pass the rooms this morning, there has been a massive amount of work done by one specific person. Her name is Molly. You can go ahead and come up, Molly. As you're leaving today, look at the four rooms. It's unbelievable what she's able to put together working with Buckhead Prep and with City Kids because there's a school here during the week to, to make it work for both teams. She's spent heart, time, energy. She's done the hard work of trying to recruit. It's like getting cats to work is getting volunteers together. Last weekend, she had some good stuff, but she's been here by herself a lot. She brought her husband. I mean, it's just been, come on, I want you to come up. I don't want to give this to you. Is that okay? I'm going to pray for you, too. All right, don't go anywhere yet. So there's an Airbnb gift card, okay? There's some chocolates. I don't know if you're going to eat those. There's a candle. There's all kinds of stuff. So we want to ask Jesus to pour back into her what she's given out, and we want you to know that we're really thankful because you did an amazing job, and it's great. So if you guys would just reach your hands towards Molly.
Jesus, I thank you for the gift of highlighting someone who's gifted to do this and letting them step forward and say, I can help. And then look what happened. And so I'm so thankful for her heart. I just pray that you would restore into her, continue to build her family, allow them to feel known and loved in this community. And I just thank you so much for the gifts of what this is going to mean for our kids. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Molly. All right, last one. Last one. Okay. So growth, this was also something that you guys mentioned a lot. This was one of our top ones. And if you, if you know our history and our story, we've decided in the beginning to not spend money on becoming a promotional church, to not send out flyers. We wanted it to be relational. We wanted it to be relational evangelism. So it's not that we're against, because people are like, do you guys not want to grow because of the things we say sometimes? That's not, that's not us. We, we do want to grow. We just want to grow in the right ways. We don't want to grow artificially, right? We don't want to use tricks that make gatherings bigger because we've decided a good business strategy, right? And so, but we do want to grow, and that's important. So I'm going to read you this. Lord, we pray for the growth of RCC's body. Our prayer is not merely about growing the number of people at RCC, but more about providing a safe place for people to land who don't know you, who have been hurt by previous church experiences, and put push pause there. People have been hurt by this church experience as well. We're not the perfect church, right? But that this would be a safe place for people to come and, and be healed. And who want to know you more deeply. We pray for opportunities and the boldness to invite friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers, and strangers to RCC to learn about the abundant life to which you call us. We're historically not really good at this. Um, everybody that's come to this church has either randomly looked on the website and gotten to page seven, and, and they found it, or they've been invited by you. And so I actually think this is the beautiful way of the kingdom of God. Um, but we're asking that God would help people to know that we're here, right? To help people know that we're here. At the end of service today, we're going to let you guys break into groups and not hold hands. So calm down, right? And we're going to pray about these. But I want you to pray really quickly with me now. And if you could, go ahead and close your eyes. I want you to get in your mind and heart the one that seems to lock into your inner being. Maybe it was kids, maybe it was volunteer culture, maybe it was clear paths to discipleship, that we would be a church that, and you show up here and you really know how to get involved and grow. So Jesus, as we reach our hands to you, we want to be present with you as you are present with us. We know that the invitations of the spirits is here right now. We don't have to work anything up. We don't have to sing really loud. We don't have to contemplate really deeply. You're present with us and you desire to lead us. We're here. We're already here, five and a half years in. You've already blessed us so much. We've already seen so much. God, we want you to continue to lead. And we know the invitations of the Spirit for us now are these things. We've prayed together. We've sought. We've fasted. We've asked you, God. We've cried out. We've seen you answer. We've seen work start. So we ask that you would help us to God. Lock arms together and cry out together for these things. And for all the transitions happening within our staff, for a lot of people I know it's confusing when things change, but I pray that you would give us an anticipating heart. What is the Lord leading us into? We pray for blessings over Katie as she transitions out and gets excited about the next step. For Jordan and the table, God bless the ministry of the table. Let it truly be the place in Smyrna where people gather, become known and taste and see that you are good. God, for Mariah stepping into a staff, help her to 
Maintain a healthy rhythm, God, to not receive her identity from what she does on a stage. For Antramika stepping fully under wise counsel, bless it, God. And for Sarah stepping farther into a deeper sabbatical, walking with you, help it to be the richest season in her life. We thank you for all of this. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That was a lot. You guys did it. I feel like we need to take like a five-minute break, but we're not going to. We're not going to. You, you have a question? Okay. Yes, so raise your hand if you don't know what Wise Council is. Wise Council is our elder board. So the current members right now of the Wise Council are Alex Rodriguez, right here. You want to wave? He's super nice. That was super nice. Jonathan Godby, right back here. Antramika Knight, she is out this week. Alita in the back, back here. And then we have, there's one more I'm forgetting, me. <laughs> That's it. Good. If you have more questions, we want them. You can come see me after service about any of this. Um, we're definitely open to dialogue. We're more open to pray with us, but get excited with us if you don't mind. I'm going to pray. We're going to jump right in. So Father, we thank you so much for this body. As we jump into this text today, help it to come to life. We know that your word is not a, 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 a flat, stale, just historical document. It's not just a critical historical read. It is a active, alive. It's where the Spirit is empowered to lock into our spirits and read us. We know that this is a book that we don't just read, it reads us. Its power is so dangerous, we need to read it in community. It's so beautiful that we need to share it. We know that we need to gather around it. We want to be a church that loves your word, God. We thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so the Christian life is a journey. And we've been talking about that. In fact, I've given you kind of a framework from a site that we've been using for our discipleship. And the framework is basically that there are three stages to most Christians' lives. There's a pre-stage and then three stages. The three stages are, well, the four stages are awakening. This is the experience you have when you come to know Jesus. He's real. You've stepped in. The spiritual world is real. I'm saying yes to this. I'm becoming aware that's the pre-stage. Number two is purgation. I talked about this last week. This is where you become aware of sin, basically, and you start to travel through what, what kind of sin there is. So the first one we talked about in this was the gross sins. These are the large ones. These are the I'm harming people. I'm doing terrible things. These are what testimonies are built around. The second one is conscious sins. These are the ones that maybe the world says are fine, but we kind of understand they're, they're hindering us. The third one is unconscious sins. Those are the ones that are kind of inside of us, the ones that form bad opinions about people but never say it, the ones that would like you to not get the job and would like you to get hurt but would never talk about it, the ones that say, I'm never forgiving that person. I love Jesus, but I'm not forgiving. That's, that's someone stuck in that third stage. And the last one is, is um, uh, trust structures. Trust structures is the idea that something is actually sitting in the seat of God, and it can actually be a good thing. It can be something just replacing God. It's where you receive like, I'll be okay if. The next station is illumination. This is where you start to take on the life of Christ. This is where you start to embody it. It's not so much anymore, am I sinning, am I not? This is where you start to step into, oh, the life of Christ is beautiful. This is a good thing. God is with me now. You understand that he is present and you are active. And then the last one is union. And the idea in union comes from John 15 through 17. 
the idea there is that you are abiding in Christ. It's not so much with you anymore, but in. He is in the prayers. He is in you. That's a continual presence. It's a co-mingling. It's this idea that the union of being with God is the end. So being with God and being with people. So these are the stages of a way that you would kind of historically, for 1,800 years, kind of figure out where you are. But it doesn't go like this, because that's not the point. It does this. And so it's like this. It's like you're kind of in purgation, and you're back to awakening, and you're kind of in illumination, and you're, what's going on? So the idea isn't so much that you travel through it all in your life, but that you notice where you're at, and what are the invitations of the Spirit to you in that space, which is beautiful, to notice what the Father would say to you so that you can continue to grow. So as we look at this text, it's one you've all heard. In fact, let's see on the count of three if we can just recite John 3.16, okay? One, two, three. Ooh. It sounded like we knew the first part of it, but it's all right. So, so can you pull up the next slide? So this is, this is what I'm trying to do today to this passage, because this passage, for me, me speaking honestly, has become so vanilla that I don't even think through it. I passed a billboard this morning, and it was on there, on my way to church. This is a billboard, and there's hundreds of them, right? It's become kind of like... Um, Almost like just an identifier, like, yes, I believe that, moving on. But you can go to the next slide. It's become something that when we see it, we're like, ooh, who's that guy, right? <laughs> yes, that's Tim Tebow, and that's John 3.16. And when we see that, we're like, oh, we, they've got one, he's one of us, right? Like, yes, like, he's one of us. He's, he's in, he's carrying that card, right? It's almost that, like, he's, like, we, we got that secret handshake thing going, like, we all believe this, right? For us, this has become a passage that doesn't require any reflection, right? And so when I read this today, for first century Christians to hear this passage would have been, imagine a group of people who were completely outcasts, who had no place in society, who were not allowed to be a part of things, and then this passage being spoken to them that I'm about to read to you. Not as a, are you in or are you out, but as a, I see you, and I am here for you, and you belong. So there's no version of this where it's used as like a stamp of, I'm in and you're out. It would only have been to somebody who knew that they were out and needed to belong. Does that make sense? It's very different for us, right? That's not the way we use this passage, but I want you to open up your Bibles to John 3, 1 through 17. And just because I loved that Dr. Johns did this, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the Word. And I know some of you grew up in that, and I actually love it. It's possible this will be a part forever. All right, so you can follow along as I read. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This, oh, we're going to read together? I can't do it, guys. I know it sounded like I said, if we do that, I'm done. I cannot do that. Just listen. I'm serious. It's too much for me to handle. It's already been a lot today. 
Just listen. All right. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to know Jesus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? It's almost a little bit like uh, sarcasm here. Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has ascended descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I always forget that at weddings. It's okay. So what you have with Nicodemus is what you have in a lot of the Gospel of John, which is an imperfect, ambiguous character. So who is Nicodemus? He's a teacher of the law. He's a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus because he's been intrigued by seeing and hearing what Jesus does. So he's not coming as a Pharisee normally comes to question and harm. He's actually kind of intrigued. So he shows up. At night, why would he show up at night? Why would he show up in the dark? Why would he want to be in the shadows? In this first interaction, it's confusing, because he's a Pharisee and because Pharisees would probably not appreciate that he's doing this. So he comes in hiding. He's eager. It's real. But he's desiring to not be known at this point that he's pursuing Jesus. I I read in one commentary that Nicodemus might be the most accurate picture of the 21st century church. Because many of us inwardly desire to move towards Jesus, but would rather that not be public knowledge, right? Especially now where faith in Jesus as the way and not just one of multiple ways can actually mean that you are full of hate. So now we believe in Nicodemus that we see someone, and, and as you hear me say this, don't hear that a hidden faith is bad. Any faith at all is good. So even a faith that's in the dark is a good thing. But here as I talk about this, that it's not complete. That as you see Nicodemus through this, this chapter, you see someone stepping into the life of Christ and you see growth happening. You see a commitment to follow Jesus happen. You see what that looks like in chapter 7 and chapter 19. But we see in ourselves Nicodemus. 
We see this surface in our workplaces. Or when someone truly needs something, do we involve Jesus in the situation, right? Like Nicodemus is ambiguous at best about this. He's maybe the most ambiguous person in John. He's hidden. Like he's the picture of a person hiding but trying to find Christ. He lives in the margins. He follows from afar. He's us. Jesus does not go easy on him. This is what I love about Jesus. And this is where I think this interaction is very different than what we see when we see that sign. When we see that sign or we've been in services that have preached from this text, a lot of us have heard, if you could just say the sinner's prayer today, then you can receive the kingdom and you can have eternal life. And then we check out and then we wonder why we feel empty. That's not the version of this. When he's interacting with Nicodemus, he's asking him a question that's making him rethink everything he thinks he knows. So the question posed to him is very clear. It's about being born again. And so for me, I've never, I've literally never had to give birth to a human. But I've been present when that's happened. Is my wife gone? Oh, freedom. I can do whatever I want right now. <laughs> so, so being involved in an actual birth is the farthest thing from Tim Tebow's eye black that I've ever seen. Being involved in an actual birth involves so many emotions, good, bad, horrified, so many opinions. What is that doctor doing? I have to cut what? I'm not qualified to cut this thing. I promise you don't want me to do this. It involves seeing for the first time, like a new human. It involves the fears related to that. Being involved in a birth is the most uncomfortable, exciting. She just walked in and is like, what is he doing? So I, sh I showed some of our pictures from, just kidding. So, so, so why would he be asking him this question, right? Why would he be asking him? He's trying to change the way he thinks about himself, about God, and the world. And he's trying to get him to one statement. He keeps asking him questions that Nicodemus is right. This is, how, why are you saying this? Like, I'm talking to you, Jesus, but I, I know that you know, and I don't know why you're telling me this. This is impossible. What you're telling me is impossible, and it is impossible. And the truth is, it's extremely impossible. And for a Pharisee to hear, you will not be able to save yourself, would have completely destroyed his whole framework. It would have made him think about, okay, if I were to think about birth, what part did I actually play in this? Think about it. Like, in your birth, how much did you bring to the table? Absolutely nothing. Your mom? Can we, can we just give a clap for moms? We all know how important a dad is in this scenario, right? Like, without us, like, just kidding. It's hilarious. Like, the, the relatable work in that scenario is just, it's not even, there's, I mean, the moms. Just, let's just say thank you to the moms, right? So he would have had to have interact with his, so if, you're, if you want me to get this space, okay. What was my role in being born? Nothing. Being present, letting go. He's telling a Pharisee, 
you're not going to be able to save yourself because he's trying to get him to that spot. He's not trying to tell us all it's time to put up billboards. He's, he would say, if he was trying to have this conversation with, he, with you, he would find your trust structures built around God, and he would ask you questions that would so jack you up that you would have to step away and be like, how does this even make sense? I'm not saying that this is not true. It's true. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. But I'm saying for Nicodemus, that specific question made him rethink everything, every single thing he thought he knew. So he got to the point where he said, I can't do this. I literally cannot birth myself. If, if somebody could birth themselves, that doesn't even make sense even trying to make it make sense. It's impossible. And Jesus knew this. We have to get to the spot where we say, the way I'm thinking this can be done is impossible. And if that can happen, then you can be led to where Nicodemus was led, which was self to trust. It's going, to be, it's going to be birthed by the Spirit and by water. It's going to be the kind of born again. You can pull up this quote. Let me just read this to you. It's a long quote. If you're trying to take pictures of it, it's going to be too hard. Just read. God works hard for us in our faith. God conceives us as Christians and nurtures us in the wombs of our faith, safe and warm and secret. At some point, like any pregnant woman who is close to full term, God gets impatient with gestation and wants to get on with it. God wants to push the baby through the birth canal into greater maturity, into fullness of life, into a faith lived wholly in the world. That is what Jesus talks about in this text. Jesus thinks it is time Nic- Jesus thinks it is time Nicodemus came through the spiritual birth canal. Perhaps he thinks it is time for many others to be re- reborn too. God is ready to give us birth by water and spirit. Somebody should be amening. This stuff is like so good, gross, good, all of it. How many of our church members or preachers might be Nicodemus in 21st century garb? How many of our congregations might be organizational versions of him? People in institutions with compartmentalized face that flourish behind the scenes, out of sight, away from the fray, essentially in private. How many of us are gestating Christians who among us has room to grow in their faith? The good news of this text is that God is prepared, even eager, to do the hard, messy, sweating labor that will bring us into maturity and new life. Does that make sense? That's good stuff. So for us, right, like, we're asked to trust the midwife of the Holy Spirit to lead us into this. Like, the, the awakening we walk through, even in the next seasons, it's always moving from self to trust. If he can get you to the spot where you can say, this seems impossible then you're in a good spot. Because then the trust has to be in him. And with the midwife of the Holy Spirit, you can be led into it. You don't get to decide. You didn't come out and pick, your, pick the room you were born in. You, you showed up and you started crying and someone helped you. And that's what our faith looks like. You kind of show up, you start crying, and hopefully the body of Christ helps you. But you're not born a spiritual Jedi. And you're not intended to be, no matter how many prophecies were thrown at you, telling you you'd be on stages. The process of growth in Christian maturity is unavoidable. To do the Christian life without doing that work is impossible. It will not last. So you have to do the work of setting aside Sabbath, of listening to community, of 
diving into the text with the community, of forgiving as you have been forgiven. It's a process. What if the pace of Jesus' life looks more like a walk? What if it looks literally like a walk with Jesus is actually a walk and not being super sped to the next season, right? I just rebuke all of those things spoken to us that say you have to skip over things and God's just going to let you have these things and not have to go through the work of growing as an infant and as a toddler and as a teenager and all those important formative years that help you become an adult, right? God, forgive us for being a church that can just put people in situations expecting adulthood and they're still infants. The process of growing in Christ cannot be replaced by anything, right? And there are spirit-filled experiences that will revolutionize your life. I shared one in our group this past week. The only way it could have happened is Jesus being present by the Holy Spirit through someone. There's no way it could have happened. It was extremely supernatural. It was extremely not fleshly, and it changed my life forever. But that didn't replace the process of my growth in Christ as a son. I am his, and I'm in his family, and I'm committing myself to that work. And it doesn't happen in a month. Does that make sense? So let's just look at Nicodemus' life. He shows up in chapter 3 in the dark, not wanting to be seen, asking questions, being confronted with better questions, having to go away from it feeling confused, right? It's much different than the altar call where you say the sinner's prayer, somebody pats you on the bottom, and you're like, I'm saved. I guess I get whatever I want now. It's much different than that. Here Nicodemus has to go back and wrestle with things that are huge. What does it mean to be born again? If our salvation experience doesn't involve real questions, go back to it. Ask the ones that you were afraid to ask or that people told you you can't. The doubt that surfaced and needs to in that, go back to it. Why do I doubt that this is, why when I see that does it not seem right? Ask the questions. Be thrown upon yourself. Allow yourself to get to the spot where you feel like without Jesus, this will be impossible. That's the purpose. But it doesn't stop there. You leave the hospital room and you're placed in families, right? Love that passage. The lonely are settled in families. You're placed in families. You cannot do it without the community of God. I promise you, you will not last on your own. There is no version of a Christian that is by themselves for their whole life that can grow. We are meant for one another. We are meant for one another. We are meant for one another. Yes, the annoying ones in here. And yes, the boisterous ones in here. And yes, the ones you can never get two words out of. And yes, you can only get two words out of those people, and they're not the ones you want to hear in these kind of services. That's the community of God. All of those sloppy parts are the parts, right? Is a birth sloppy or neat? I'm just telling you guys, if you haven't experienced it, it's not just like a Disney show. It, there are parts of it that I will never forget my whole life. I love you very much. I mean, it's, but it's, it's that type of work when we say yes to Jesus, that type of work that has to happen. And that's the point. We see later in chapter 7, Nicodemus shows up. He kind of surfaces out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden, and somebody's trying to accuse Jesus of being something he's not, and they would like to kill him. And he steps up in Jesus's defense. And he's like, no, no. And we see this, and a lot of us are like, yes, we need to defend Jesus. He's not there yet. This Nicodemus in chapter 7 that needs to defend Jesus is the one that we see on Facebook that formalizes enemies, 
because we don't know that Jesus is actually dying for those trying to kill him. This version of Nicodemus has grown. His faith is now out. It's not in the dark. It's out and it's open. And he said something that will cost him. It's costly to him, but it's still not fully formed. But it's okay. He's growing. Jesus does not need us to defend him. Can we just say amen to that? He needs us to stand with him and with those he is sending us to. He does not need us to defend him. Please understand that, Facebook people. It doesn't help if we defend Jesus by being angry and mean to people. It's never going to work. Does that make sense? It only like makes it way worse. Like think about how bad it could be and then triple it. That's what that does. Then we see him in chapter 19 in this most peculiar, beautiful, unbelievable thing happens. Jesus is now dead, being taken into the tomb, and who shows up with spices to help wrap the body? Nicodemus. So he travels from in the dark asking questions to defending Jesus to now being one with him in his death. The process of human and Christian discipleship. Can you pull up this passage from the message version? Usually throwing one of those a week. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering. Like Dr. John said, there's no version of following Christ that doesn't involve the cross, the stench of death, that it costs something and it costs us something. Be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I have have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running, and I'm not turning back, so let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us, if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running the same course, headed for the same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross, but easy street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise. All they can think of are their appetites. So the way of discipleship is a process of going from self to complete trust that looks like handing over your appetites and what, please, please just look at me for this. Your appetites are what you want most, not what you want to eat. Your appetites are deep within you. We've talked about it before. The children of God, when they were led out of Egypt, were led through a season in the desert because they had to be cleansed of their what? Their appetites. So they had to wait to go into the land flowing with milk and honey because their appetites were so strong. They needed to form new appetites. The appetites for this table, 
for Jesus. Amen. God, that's good. All right. I'm going to close in a prayer, but I'm going to ask you a really simple question, right? Maybe you're like Peter. You don't have faith. You've betrayed Christ. Look at his arc of journey. What did he do? He went from follower, Pharisee, I'll do it all. I'll deny you three times. I'm away. Breakfast with Jesus. Jesus inviting him back saying, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. Peter becoming the rock. The arc of his story is like this. So maybe he failed, but maybe Jesus loved him back into it. Maybe he was alone, but maybe he was placed back in family. Maybe he was at the bottom, maybe he's the rock. That's the arc of our stories, pressing towards him. You're pressing towards him, and he does this by invitations. What is the invitation of the Spirit to you right now? Right now today, what are the invitations of the Spirit to you? What is he leading you into? What is he asking you to step into? Is it a metaphorical thing? Is it an actual thing? Is it confession? Is it let yourself off the hook? Is it I'm not this version Nicodemus was? Is it that you feel like you have to save yourself? What does that look like? You're continuing to work to get what you need. You're trying to prove to him and others who you are. That's Nicodemus. It won't work. You can pull up these two questions and you guys can stand with me. I'm going to pray a prayer for you as we close today. If you would close your eyes with me. I want you to imagine standing before you. Take some deep breaths before we do this. I want you to imagine that Jesus is standing before you. Even picture him in your mind's eye. If it's helpful to close your eyes, please do that. And your question to him is simply, what are you inviting me into right now, God? what seems impossible right now. I'm just going to say it. He's already there with you. What seems impossible. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.